When I was a child, I had one thing I was extremely scared of. I was always fearful of storms, especially lightning, electrical storms. And, and when there was a storm, and I lived, um, I lived in the Fens, a place called Littleport, right on the bank of the River Ouse, and when there was a storm and you had loads of big empty sky, it was pretty scary. And I would lie in bed and I would be properly afraid. Now somehow, my mum would always know. And she would do this thing, which I still remember now, she would come into my room, and everyone else would be fast asleep, but I would be like, eyes open, I am scared. And I could see the flashing through the window, the curtains. And my mum would take me to the window, we'd open the curtains, and she would point, and we would look, and we would see the thing that I was afraid of. And she would, I don't know if you've ever done this before, she would make me count to ten. Because apparently you all know that you know, the speed of light and the speed of sound are different. And so when we saw and when we heard, we would count and we would just know it's passing us by. I was petrified. I'd be hit by lightning. I've made it to 42 and I haven't been hit by lightning yet. But I remember those moments when I was in the middle of the night, scared, petrified, fearful. And my mum came in the room, points me to something and looks at everything very differently. Everything changed at those moments. And I want to talk today about the disciples where they're inside a locked room and they're petrified and Jesus comes and stands amongst them and everything changes. The reading for today is John 20, 19. It says this, On the evening of the first day of the week, the Sunday, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. And he said... Peace be with you. Now, I've been to some prayer meetings before. I've felt the presence of God in prayer meetings, but I've never seen the risen Lord Jesus standing in the middle of the room. I think peace is probably a very good word. I would probably be even more petrified. Suddenly, you're, you're dead. You're not, you shouldn't be here. We, we buried you. We saw you die. Uh, I know Peter said he saw you. We weren't sure if he was making it all up. The guys, wow, what's happened? Suddenly, Jesus is standing there. He says, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I don't know if you've ever succumbed to a rational fear. It's only ever rational to other people, isn't it? You've had those moments of panic, of worry, of your finances not being as they should be, your job security. You're scared. There's a round of redundancies going on. You think, oh, it might be me next. Or your friend goes really, gets really un unwell and is is sick, and you think, oh, it might be me next. And we get worried about things. We get worried about our future. We are fearful of so many things. Maybe you're at lightning. Maybe that's what you're afraid of. But we all have our different fears. Some may seem irrational to others. But to you, they're very real. And they can grip you. And they can hold you. And they can limit you. And when we look at this, uh, this series of 40 Days with Jesus, this is the third part in our 40 Days with Jesus series. We started on Easter Sunday, didn't we, with the Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene 
on that very first morning, Easter Sunday morning, we remembered Mary who was in despair and Jesus came and gave her hope. And then last week, Trevor told us about that journey on the Emmaus Road. I mean, how many of us sat there and go, I would have spotted it was Jesus? You know, these two guys, Cleopas and the one who doesn't get a name, poor guy, walking down the road to Emmaus. And they're walking with Jesus and they're disappointed and their heads are bowed. And haven't you heard the story of what's been going on? This great man, Jesus, died. We all are believing he was the Messiah and it's all gone wrong. And they're having this conversation. And then when they sit and Jesus breaks the bread, their eyes get opened. Ah, now we understand. And the Bible just says that Jesus disappeared from their midst. He went, he disappeared. We don't know where he went. Apart from John tells us in John 20, he appears in this locked room. He goes from seeing Mary Magdalene, he goes along the road to Emmaus, he disappears and reappears inside a locked room. And one of the striking things is, is the disciples, Peter, who was the slow runner, remember, and John, the very fast runner, he liked to make sure everyone knew he was the fastest out of all the disciples. I don't know if they had an annual kind of sports day competition or something. But he got there first and they saw the empty tomb, they saw the two, three-ton stone rolled away. They saw the, the linen the be- laid out there. They saw the head covering folded. They knew that something had happened. And yet they're inside this room. They've locked the door because they are afraid. They should be celebrating. They should be excited. They should be going, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. But instead, they are in fear of the Jews. And Jesus says it came and stood among them. That must have been an amazing moment. The risen Lord Jesus. To spend three years with Jesus would have been one thing. But to have moments with the risen Lord Jesus, the, the, the man that overcame death, that must have been special. And this isn't just an important story or just a nice thing to talk about. This is, for me, a, a pattern of what Jesus does today. This is a story that we can apply to ourselves today and say, actually, Jesus transforms lives today. Jesus takes us from our rooms locked with fear. He stands in the middle of them and he transforms everything. Everything changed when Jesus gets put back in the center where he belongs. Everything changes. First, he changes us and then he sends us. He changes us And then he sends us. I want to look at those two points, one in turn. Number one, what does Jesus give us? When Jesus gives us, when Jesus stands amongst us, he gives us a new sense of peace. A new sense of peace. Jesus comes and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. They didn't reply and also with you because they didn't know that were the rules back then. But Jesus came and said, peace be with you. A few Anglicans are in the room. Jesus is coming to this group of defeated disciples, lonely, lost, leaderless, uncertain. And he stands there. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't tell them how, how useless they've been, how, you know, why do you even believe this stuff? He just comes and says, peace be with you. And many of you will know that this word peace is much more than just the absence of conflict. The word is shalom, the Hebrew word that says this is more about God's plans being fulfilled. Life as it was meant to be, as God intended to be. There are three levels of this shalom peace. There's the eternal peace that comes from knowing God. 
that when you are in a relationship with God, there is a peace between you and Father God. That he loves you. He is for you. The day you say yes to following Jesus, the day you say, I want to become a disciple of you, I want to, I want to give my life to following you, I want to become a Christian, is the day you have eternal peace with God. You can keep going back if you want to, but God's always said the debts have been paid. Let's move on. We have eternal peace. Secondly, we have an internal peace. And I think this is one of the most difficult things for people to get to grips with, I think, in the Western world. And understanding that things are okay within ourselves. I think we may understand a peace with God. We may go, I don't quite understand it, but I will live with it. But hold on, ourselves, the lack of identity in our nation and in many Western nations is crippling. We keep on comparing ourselves with other people. We keep on thinking we're not as good as others. And our internal peace gets lost. Jesus comes and says, peace be with you. You may have read in the news this week about um, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. This week discovered that his dad was not his dad. That the, the, the father or the man who brought him up, who was, uh, who was an alcoholic and it wasn't a great upbringing, he found out that actually he wasn't. His mum had had an affair just before his parents had married and actually some other guy was his dad. But Justin Welby's response was absolutely superb. He said, my identity is in Jesus Christ. I'm like, oh, that is the response we should be making. Not, oh, my world's all upside down. You've messed with me. Oh, what am I going to do? I thought my dad was this. No, it's actually my father, God. I'm a child of God. My identity is, and I thought, what a fantastic response. I'm sure he went through his whole emotional ups and downs and everything else. But his public response was one of my identity is in Christ. And if you want internal peace, if you want this shalom, this, this peace that God brings, you need to discover the identity of being a child of God. And we're not better than someone else or worse than someone else. Listen, when we compare ourselves, nobody wins. You will always think of yourself as better than someone or worse than someone else. That's never a healthy place to be. We align ourselves with God and his purposes and we say, I want to be your child. And, and that... And that there is, a, there is an accessibility to that which God brings through the Son, Jesus Christ. And lastly, with this peace is the external peace. This peace with other people. You know, when, you know, when people are full of peace, when they are at peace with themselves and at peace with God, they bring peace into other rooms. They come into the workplace and everything calms down. They come into volatile situations and things change. You can have peace with other people. You know, this, this word shalom is so much more. This is the risen Lord Jesus ushers in this new day of shalom, of peace, with the well-being of God. It's the hallmark of a Christian life is that we should be full of the God we serve. That we should come into rooms and bring light into dark places. The food bank and, so, and other projects like CAP of course we should be doing these things. Of course we should be transforming and making a difference in our community. I know many of us in this room would testify to the peace that you've experienced. I met a young guy last week while I was at Spring Harvest. Um, he was, his name was Alex, and he's uh, probably about 25 years old. And he was born and brought up in Rwanda. And when he was seven years old, um, sorry, no, when he was five years old, he watched his family and wider family butchered in front of his eyes. I mean, the stories he tells are horrendous. It was genocide, there was you know, disagreements between different tribes, and he was 
fortunately, he was abandoned into an orphanage and wasn't killed. He said, everyone in my family was killed, and the man who was there could have finished me off, but for some reason left me, five years old, surrounded by all his family. A, a horrendous situation. At seven years old, he's in this orphanage, and one Christmas time, he receives a shoebox from Samaritan's Purse. You, many of you will have been involved in Operation Christmas Child. And he receives this shoebox of sweets and toys. And he said a lot of the sweets they thought were pills. They didn't understand what these things were because they were Western you know, sweets. But they just had all these things in this box. And they got to know the local people who were involved in giving out these shoeboxes. And over the next few years, he discovered Jesus who brings peace. And if you met this man today, age 25, some you know, 18 years after receiving that first shoebox, he just emanated peace. He sat with us as our family. We had a, a meal together, and he was talking with my children with a huge smile and a lovely kind of demeanor. And I was like going, how can you be the way you are, having seen what you've seen? Because he met Jesus. Because he'd been transformed. Because he'd met this peace that lives within it revolutionizes lives of people who are fearful and anxious, just as the disciples were in that locked room. The second thing Jesus does when he appears is gives us hope, a sense of purpose. You know, there was Mary Magdalene, despair, ridden, overcome, and hope comes her way. The disciples on the Emmaus Road, heads bowed, despair. Jesus comes, hope comes. And I want to say today that as we look at this passage, he comes and he gives them new hope. He says, look at my hands, look at my side. Come on, Thomas, check, check me out. I am the real deal. In, in the other version in Luke, he says, give me some fish to eat. I love this. It's like a competition. I know what you're thinking, I'm a ghost. Come on, give me some food. Let, let, go on, yeah, ghosts can't eat. Watch this. And they're probably all watching to see whether it kind of just sort of falls through the middle of him or something. I know I, I read the Bible a bit differently maybe than most of you, but I have these weird thoughts of you know, comedy moments and cartoon-esque type of, really, you're going to eat some fish? And Jesus messing with them. You know, oh, watch me eat the fish. And he shows me he's real. And he says, you can have hope. Listen, when we have hope in Jesus Christ, it's not the hope the world talks about, which is like, well, I hope it works out. I hope it might happen. This is a concrete hope in the risen Lord Jesus. This is a confidence that we can have. We put our hope in Jesus. It's not a wishy-washy, maybe it'll work out for us. It's an absolute confidence that there is hope beyond the grave, that Jesus overcame death. He came back to life. When we see that, understand it, recognize it, and live for it, it will make a difference to our lives. This is not just a, a hope in a good story. This is a hope in a person who overcame death. When we encounter Jesus, he fills with peace. He fills us with hope. And thirdly, and we've talked about this before, haven't we, church? Joy, that well-hidden Christian fruit. The disciples were overjoyed when they realized it was him. They were overjoyed. That means a bit more than just joy. They were overjoyed. They were really excited. They were a little bit silly, a little bit ecstatic, a little bit, oh, it's going to work. It's going to be okay. And I, love, I heard this story. I thought it was fascinating. Um, when the Wycliffe Bible translators were trying to translate this verse in John 20, verse 20, to the Intuit people, they're like a tribe in the Arctic, they struggled to find a word, a verb for overjoy. They didn't have one. Maybe they weren't very joyful. I don't know. But here's, here's they found this solution. They noticed about the bond between the husky dogs 
and the Intuit men. That when the men would get up in the morning, the husky dogs would come and they would be wagging their tails, excited for the food and the day ahead. So they translated this Bible verse, and it reads this in the Intuit Bible. The disciples wagged their tails when they saw the Lord. Uh, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, the, if you read into it, the disciples were probably teenagers. These, these are like the youth group. You know, Jesus is there with his youth group. They are excited. Going, the guy we followed for three years, believe every word he said, we thought had died and abandoned us. He's, he's risen. He's here. It's going to be okay. They wagged their tails. They were overjoyed. There's a difference between just being happy, wish me up and down. But there's joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ that lives within us. Happiness might come from our circumstances, but joy comes all the way from Jesus every single time. As we encounter Jesus, he fills with peace, hope, and joy. And we said you know, that, that Jesus comes to bless us, but he blesses us for purpose. Jesus doesn't just give us a good bless up. You know, I, I don't want to build New Life Church and Freedom Church we become to be a place where we come to church where we all feel a bit better about ourselves. Come to church and receive a blessing. Come and get what's going. Come and just have some stuff. I'm not interested in creating an event that people attend and we all feel a bit better about ourselves. And we'll see you next Sunday for a top-up. Just, I'm, just, I'm sorry if you're here going, oh, Sim, that's what I'm here for. I'm just here for a weekly kind of dose to keep me going. This is not some sort of spiritual pill you know, that you go to church to kind of keep me feeling a bit better about life. This is about encounter with Jesus Christ. And so he, he imparts the peace, the joy, the hope so that we can be sent out. The sent out ones, the Christians, the followers of Christ. Jesus comes to give us a new purpose. He says, as, as the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you. He sent me to do a mission. I'm almost done. My time's up. I've had three years of activity here on earth, and I'm almost finished. But don't worry, good news, youth group. Uh, you're it. You're the plan. I've, I've given you my, my training. I've done everything I can tell you. Your turn now. And the truth is, that isn't just for the disciples. It's you and I now. We are the holders of the mission of Jesus Christ in this earth. That we have a responsibility not just to receive the peace, the hope, and the joy that God gives to us, but is to go and do something with it. To go and make a difference. You know, the language is one of mission, of being sent out from the Father, through the Son, and continued through His church here in this world. You know, these, these disciples were people who'd made loads of mistakes. They got a whole bunch of things wrong. Jesus could have gone, you know what? I think I might start a new group because this one's not working very well. I, I, I'll go get another bunch of interns because these groups, you know, they, they haven't quite delivered. You know, they've locked themselves in a room because they're scared. This isn't looking great, is it? Here's Peter, the rock I'm going to build my church on. Not so sure. But Jesus went, actually, no, you are the people. You are the plan. You are the purpose. You are the mission of God on this earth. Go. Go into all the world. Go and make disciples, he says to them later on. And his plans and his mission for the disciples carries on today through you and I. He looks at us. You can imagine him eyeballing you right now and saying, you are my plan. You are the people I've chosen to go and take my message into the world. And I want to encourage us that we mustn't just live and die below the plans God has for us. God has got a purpose for each one of you. 
And I want to challenge you as individuals sitting here to discover what it is that God has put within you to live out on an everyday basis. You know, your purpose is always much greater than you probably realize and appreciate. Make sure you don't live below what God has for you. My job as a church leader, I always believe, is to, is Ephesians 4, is to build up the body of Christ. How can I help the people who attend this church become the greater them that they're meant to be? How can you become who you're meant to be? Don't live below the bar that you set yourself. Live above what God has set for you. Go for what that is. I heard this weird story last week about a wealthy guy who was determined to buy his aging mother the best possible present he could. He'd done it okay the previous few years, but this year was the best ever birthday present. He was convinced of it. He read about this bird that spoke multiple languages, that could speak in different languages and had loads of words and was, could even sing and it was really valuable bird. He tracked this bird down and he bought it for 50,000 pounds and he sent it to his mum as a gift. He thought, this will be a great gift. He rang her up the next day on her birthday. He said, Mom, what do you think of the bird that I sent you? And she said, it tasted lovely. Thank you for sending it. <laughs> Bit grim, isn't it? But how often do we not fulfill our purpose? There was a bird with great potential. But sometimes we misunderstand the potential in each one of us. Sometimes we look at ourselves in the mirror, we think, surely that's not me, I can't do those things. Yes, you can. Not through your own strength, but for the God who works through you. He has a plan, and if he was willing to use the 12 disciples, let's be honest, the 11 disciples, the leftover ones, then he could use you and I. He could use your eye. And not only could he, he does. So there is this whole thing about a new purpose. But not just a purpose, I love this bit. I spoke about this last week at Spring Harvest. The importance about being empowered. That Jesus then breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't just say, here's the blueprint to success. Here's, all the, here's the plan. You've heard my talks, my best sermons. Off you go. Go do likewise. He said, no, you need the power that lives within me. You need to carry the same anointing that I carry. The Father's given it to me. I'm giving it to you. And he breathed on them, this intimate moment, breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. This connects us right back to creation and in Genesis where God breathes and man becomes alive. And Adam and Eve exist through the breath, the life of God. And God breathed, or Jesus there, breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. I spoke last week about the importance of this piece in Acts 1, where he says, go into Jerusalem, go wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Go wait for you to be empowered. We can go forward in our own strength. And the disciples tried it in their own strength. They tried to make things work. But it was only when the Spirit of God fell in Acts chapter 2, they were empowered. And 3,000 people got added to them in one day. You can work as hard as you want to. But if you want to see uh, incremental growth at that level, we need the Spirit of God upon us. You do, I do. If you want to see God transform your family, your workplace, the lives of those you love around you, we need to be people who are empowered with God's power living within us. You know, I often say to people, we don't live with God's power, His Holy Spirit. 
It's a bit like trying to row a speedboat. You can do it. You can row a speedboat. I've never tried it. I can imagine you could. It would be hard work. And it's not how it was designed to work. And I've met too many Christians who are trying to get through life like they're rowing a speedboat. They're like, I'll be okay. I'm, I'm on it. Leave it to me. I've got my paddle. I'm all right. But God never designed us that way. He designed us to live with the Holy Spirit moving within us. That we have an engine. We have power. And we should be fully utilizing that. And can I say, it's much more fun driving a speedboat with an engine than trying to row a speedboat. No? I think some of you need to go on a speedboat and experience it. And then maybe get stuck in the middle of the ocean and here's a rowing paddles. Off you go. I think you'd know which one you'd go for. And I want to see a church that's full of people empowered by the Holy Spirit and having fun watching the Holy Spirit work through them. Watching, having fun with his power and his presence and his purpose. But lastly, the authority. John talks about this. He said to the disciples that he will send this helper. But it's not authority to become God. It's not even the authority to become like God. This is the authority to work with God and his power working through us. That his, his purpose, his power, and his authority. It's, it's a sign of an encounter with God. And people stand with authority and say, I'm, I'm not going to let this carry on anymore. Something has to change. And they have this confidence that comes from the power that lives within them and the confidence that they are a son, a daughter of God. I love this quote from William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army. Someone who was filled with the Spirit of God and gave him a boldness and a passion for saving souls. He says, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor girl lost in the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. I want to be a someone who is filled with the power of God, who has confidence in who I am, carrying that authority. Say, well, I want to make a difference to the place I live. I want something to change. I want to, the world I'm part of to be transformed. I don't want to be content with just making it through. I don't want to survive and just be limited by that. I want to say, actually, there's something different we can make. What could we do to this town of Romsey? How could things change? I'm not just saying, let's just get a bit of peace in our lives, a bit of joy, a bit of hope. It's all good stuff. I'm saying, let's have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Allow him into your space. He will fill you with that new peace, that joy, that purpose, that power, and that authority. As we go into our daily lives and have our daily devotions, I encourage you to get hold of the 40 Days with Jesus devotional book. It works alongside our teaching program. Go to Oasis Bookshop or go online and get hold of a copy. Let's expect to encounter Jesus Christ. Let's expect to encounter him in your quiet times, but also to encounter him in your connect groups, in your groups and you meet in your homes. Expect to encounter Jesus there Expect to encounter him here in church on a Sunday morning. Come along tonight to the night of worship. Inspect to encounter Jesus himself, the risen Lord Jesus. Life-changing encounters for all of us. Can I invite the band to come and bring us our final song in just a moment?
I don't know where you're at or what you're picturing right now. Maybe you are in a room full of fear. You're uncertain by the things around you. You're uncertain by what's ahead. But I just want to ask the question, what would happen if you invited Jesus Christ into the middle of your room of fear? What would change for you if you allowed Jesus to come and transform that which is causing you such fear and concern? I'm reminded of the verse in Revelation 3.23. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice, open the door and welcome me in. I don't know today if you've never said yes to following Jesus. If you say, I I wouldn't call myself a Christian. Maybe today is a day to actually invite him into your home, your room, your space, your world, your life. Maybe it's something you need to step into and allow Jesus to transform you. Or maybe you're wrapped in fear and you're struggling with that that room and you're just going, well, I'm just going to manage by myself. You're rowing your speedboat all by yourself. And Jesus is knocking and going, I'm I'm quite persistent. Let me in. Let me into your room. Let me into your fear. Let me into your concerns. Let's become people of passion, of purpose, authority, who can see that transformation take place. Wouldn't it look different in Romsey if we allow Jesus to stand right at the center of our town, to stand at the center of our church, to stand at the center of our lives and watch everything change. Thank you. The ministry team will be available in a moment to pray with you, but it's going to invite Grace. It's good to have Grace back. The whole Ibbot family taking over this morning, but it's fantastic to have you here. Lead us in our song, and then I just want us to encourage you to stand if you're able to, and just going to sing this song, No Longer a Slave to Fear. And let's just use this song as a chance to, between you and God, say, actually, I want to declare that I don't want to be a slave to fear. I want to invite you in, invite you into my room, invite you into my world, invite you into my life. And if you want someone to pray with you, the ministry team will be available to do that. Thanks, Grace.